Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Tour Ireland Outdoors podcast. In this episode, we caught up with Calvin Hollahan from Hollahan's Pantry in Belfast to learn about a family recipe of traditional Irish dish known as boxty. Um, this is the Hollahan uh, recipe which has been passed down from generation to generation and is now an integral part of Hollahan's pantry and of the menu and has been for a number of years. So it really is worth uh, checking out the link in the bio to, to book your table and get in and sample it for yourself. So without further ado, Calvin Hollahan from Hollahan's pantry. Enjoy. So uh, just in terms of the pantry, where did the, where did the name even just... So I suppose with the pantry in particular, um, I mean, Hollihan's was always the name of the restaurants. It's a bit like the idea that you can't, you can't think of an original name, so you just name it after yourself. There's probably a bit of ego going on there as well, but it's a very Irish tradition as yeah. well to name your, your bar or restaurant after yourself. But the idea of the pantry, I suppose, really stemmed from my grandmother. So the idea of... I suppose, keeping things alive in her memory, uh, her recipes, the boxy in particular is, is her recipe and it's specifically her recipe we use as well. Um, so for us, we always had a pantry. My grandmother always had a pantry and yeah. that's where you got the best grub. That's where you went in, she'd be baking cakes, she'd always have a pot of stock going. Smells. You could smell the chicken <laughs> broth and she'd make a stock almost like a, a, the finest consomme you've ever had. Like she had this wonderful ability to... Um, to, to produce just absolutely incredible food, but she was a great sort of champion of Irish cooking. Okay. So a little bit like um, the Allens down, you know, further down south and stuff. She was one of those very few people who had the recipes and passed them on, but she always had the pantry. And that's where, you, you know, for us, our childhood memories are all wrapped up in the pantry. So yes. the only thing we could really think of, you know, we, I mean, obviously Hollihan's, the previous restaurant, Hollihan's at the Barge, kind of named itself, but, for us, the pantry was really about sparking that bit of nostalgia, you know, and, and not just for ourselves either. I mean, I've had people come in, you know, taste a box tea and go, ah, oh, Jesus, I haven't had that in, in, you know, 20 years, 30 years or something. So yeah. we do intentionally pluck on those kind of nostalgic heartstrings yeah. a little bit, you know. But um, I mean, for us, it's fabulous. I can remember the first time that we actually sent our first kind of box tea out to a table, um, my mum crying. You know, and and, uh, and we had my grandmother's face as kind of the logo. We had a beautiful piece of artwork done uh, of her when she was a 21-year-old girl. And that was kind of the logo for a long time. We've changed it since, unfortunately. But, you know, again, tears. So it's, it's a way of kind of keeping that memory alive. And, and as I get older, I think a lot of my childhood memories of her fade a little bit. So this just keeps it... Keep keeps it fresh. We always make that joke that she never left us any money, but she left us the ability to, to make our own, which That's is lovely, it. you know? That's, and today you're going to do a box tea, is that right? Yeah, so the box tea itself, I mean, this is probably the cornerstone of what we built our business on. And it's kind of more about what the box tea actually represents. I mean, it it's also happens to be our biggest selling dish as well. But the box tea itself, for me, comes from, obviously, my grandmother. Um, and she used to make us these almost like you'd make breakfast pancakes. You'd have a whole stack of them. And it was just our absolute favorite thing to eat. 
And they're really unusual dishes. They would remind me of sort of peasant food all over the world. So let's say in places like Asia, you've got things like, uh, you know, roti chanai, you know, these terrible breads that you're dipping into. So boxty kind of fills that sort of role as well. So it's super versatile. You can wrap it around different fillings, whether that might be a stew or what we used to use it for was to literally sort of tear a mop up leftover sauce and leftover bits of stew from the day before and the flavour had sort of all come out together and, and, and I mean it was just, it is peasant food but like most of the best food in the world is peasant food. It is, it is. Um, you know whether that's Italian or you know whatever it is, Spanish tapas and all that sort of stuff. The difference is obviously Irish food isn't as well known so for us the idea of bringing the box tea it, it had so many different aspects to it. Like I said before it was to keep the memory of my grandmother alive, it was to also, you know, bring a food that uh, for many people have been sort of lost, this notion of sort of what is Irish cuisine, to bring it back to the spotlight. Um, and actually, it's also a really versatile sort of almost street food dish. You know, you can wrap it around anything, whether that's a nice chunky sort of seafood chowder, or like I said, you know, a nice beef stew or Irish stew or something along those lines. So, yeah, you know, beautiful ham hock and cabbage and a cream mustard sauce or, you know, so what you can do is you can use this, um, you know, this box tea as the kind of the vessel. Yes. Um, and it's great. I mean, they're not that expensive to produce. I mean, it's, it's flour and, and potatoes, essentially. Um, you know, the other thing about box tea as well is there's a million different versions of it. Okay. And that, I think, is what I find really interesting. You can go from one county to the next and you'll find people will put different things, whether it's a bit of milk or buttermilk into it, an egg to bind it, or, you know, they'll strain out all the water and mix in a few. So you can kind of make it as, as fancy. Yeah. Um, you've got things like Leitrim box tea, you know, which are more sort of rusty style. You've got boiled box tea. So you've got all these different sort of versions of it. This, this is ours. This is our version. It's probably the most simplistic. Um, like I said, just two ingredients going into it. It's not, I wouldn't be saying it's a Weight Watchers, uh, you know, dish <laughs> by any stretch. But I mean, when you're using, you know, nothing but really good quality Irish potatoes, we use gluten-free flour um, to make ours. I find there's absolutely no difference with it. Um, you know, so you can, I suppose a lot more people can enjoy it. I think one in five here in Northern Ireland is certainly has a, you know, some if not celiac, but some sort of intolerance. So, you know, it's great in that respect. And, you know, as long as you're using really good ingredients, it's not super unhealthy. Now, you have to cook it with butter, is the, is the only issue. Everything needs butter. <laughs> but, you know, good quality Irish butter, you know, never did anybody a bit of harm in moderation. Yes. Um, as long as you're getting out and doing a bit of walking and stuff in the, uh, <laughs> you know, in the interim. But, you know, it is. It's just very versatile. It's very historically important. And of course, you know, it's very important to our family as well. So there's a lot of emotion when you see it sort of, you know, even the first couple of years, seeing it going out to customers and cuts, customers enjoying it, not knowing what it is and learning about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose realistically, the, the, the history, I wouldn't be a food historian now by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, particularly in places like Mayo and Connacht, uh, you know, in general, there wasn't a lot. You know, you, you wouldn't have had great cuts of meat, you wouldn't have had an awful lot of access to, you know, really good, rich ingredients. So a lot of the time, you know, you're eating boxty because it's, you've got some leftover spuds and you've got a bit of flour, you can make something really beautiful out of it. Yeah. During the, the 19th century, the majority of diet in Ireland was potatoes and buttermilk. That was and, did that, it, and did us just fine yeah. for, for a bit anyway. And the, the British, they studied us and they couldn't understand how come the Irish was so healthy and so big and so 
Yeah, and that's that was our diet, just because all the nutrients that were coming out of the potato and mixed yeah. with the buttermilk. Oh. you know, it was just it was we didn't need anything else. Well, we we didn't have anything else. Yeah. But thankfully, we didn't need anything else. But it is that um, you know I can remember again that the throwaway comment: you know, all an Irishman needs is spuds, butter, and a bit of salt, and that's enough to kind of keep you going. <laughs> Obviously, these days we know that's probably not true. However, um, you know it is, and it's very important. You know it's. You want to get away as well from that slight diddly eye Irishness, whereby yes. you know potato eating this, that, and the other. And yet, it's such a hugely important part of our history, our culinary history. Um, you know, whether it's you're talking about the famine. You know, we won't we won't be getting into sort of the political side of things no, here no, at no. all today. But you know, there are reasons why we became so reliant on it. Yeah. So to forget that, and sort of you know. I think for me, what I find um, with the Irish in general is there isn't this great desire. Now, there is probably now, certainly more than there used to be, but there wasn't this great desire to sort of discover our own food heritage or culinary heritage. And I think there was probably all sorts of emotions wrapped up in it, shame and, you know, the idea that we are potato-eating patties and this sort of thing. You know, whereas now, I suppose in a way, you can kind of bring that back and you can reclaim that and... You know, we, we're not all about potatoes. Yeah. In fact, we always had quite a sophisticated diet. You know, you can go back as far as the 1500s and we literally ate like kings. Salmon, you know, watercress, hazelnuts, uh, you know, all these amazing sort of foods. And then it just kind of fell away and, you know, we didn't eat a lot of fish for a long time. You know, I mean, as an island nation, yes. not eating seafood is, is criminal. Um, but, you know, it was always fish on a Friday and people would moan and groan, ah, yeah, you know, where's me meat and two veg sort of thing. So again, now we're starting to rediscover that. You know, you always had a few bastions like probably, you know, Connemara and, you know, the, the wilds out there. But generally speaking, all these amazing ingredients that are native to this country, we're now starting to rediscover. And we've so much that grows in our, in this wild in our nature too. Like Absolutely. You, you can go into any forest and you yeah. can... Get yourself a good meal there. I'm sure you remember picking blackberries off the bush. And, <laughs> or you used to look out for the little worms and everything. And I used to tell you there was full of worms. So you'd always check it for worms. and then. But I mean, you know, fabulous memories of just foraging and, and all that sort of stuff. We, we, we were quite hilly where I grew up and we had a lot of header. So we had a lot of blueberries uh, frocking, as we would call it. You know, so especially come kind of... You don't want to get in before the deer. So it was always kind of late July, yeah. early August we'd, we'd be out. With the barrel, or the, with, with the little bowl, fill it up, back, back but home. We, I mean, we'd have been jam. extraordinarily lucky as well. I mean, my dad was a, was a hunter and a, a fisherman and still is to this day. And, um, you know, so we ate beautiful wild Irish meat, whether it was rabbits, you know, the occasional deer, we'll not mention where they came from. Um, you know, beautiful brown river chat. You know, we were spoiled. You know, we didn't have much money, but we were spoiled in terms of our diet and in terms of what we had access to and... You know, and I think we were one of the lucky few, whereas now, you know, I think the idea of rediscovering your, your nation's food heritage has become a really important part of, you know, the food scene here in Ireland, whether that's in Cork, Galway, Dublin, you know, and, and anywhere else in between. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is maybe a little demonstration. Um, obviously, it's not, uh, this isn't a particularly visual medium, but we can certainly walk you through the, yeah. the steps and sort of, you know, there's, it's funny because the way that I make it now, obviously it's very, very similar, but there are some differences. 
Okay. Um, you know, modern technology being what it is, we would have used to obviously use things like a cast iron skillet. My yeah. grandmother had a beautiful selection of these cast iron skillets, beautifully seasoned. I'll obviously be using a little non-stick pan today, you know. Same result, but, um, you know, the other thing is, I mean, we always, now we do have a machine in the restaurant that actually now kind of grates the potatoes to a particular way that we want it. Okay. Now, we used to do it by hand for a, a process every six years, believe it or not, and it was a laborious process. Yeah, I can imagine. So, we're still going to do it by hand today, um, and what we do is... We take one of these sort of multi-sided cheese graters and the very finest side that you would traditionally use for something like a hard cheese or a parmesan, that sort of thing, that's what you'll be grating it on. Okay. So it almost the pulps fine, it. The finest. Yeah, but there is, if you look, run it through your fingers, there's almost a very fine shred to it. So generally you need those kind of fibres to kind of bind it and keep it together. Do you leave the kind of start in or do you... So this is the debate again. So different places do it in different ways. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll put it in a, a bit of muslin cloth or yeah. you know cheesecloth or something. They'll drain all that water out. But the problem is then, as far as I'm concerned anyway, I mean this flavor. is per personal taste, is that when you replace that liquid with something like milk, you're going to be losing you know, some of that potato flavor. And also you don't need to, yeah. you know, there's enough, um, you know, you're frying this dish in butter, you're frying this pancake in butter. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of fat going into it anyway. So you don't need that extra fat. You don't need it for the texture. You don't need it for the color. It browns up, crisps up nicely without it. So, you know, again, I'm not a food scientist or anything like that, but for me, all you're doing is taking something away to replace it with, with something, something else. else. Okay. And, you know, look, if there's any extra amount of flavor in that, starchy water may as well keep it in yeah um and you know the other thing is the, the the texture that i suppose you know i would remember my grandmother producing it nice crispy edges and it's just a, almost a little bit waxy in the middle okay um so you need for me you need a bit of that starch you need it to kind of be almost a little bit gelatinous in the middle um, and the great thing about that is you get this kind of slightly shiny surface to it. It doesn't absorb things as quickly. Yes. So it doesn't turn floppy and kind of disintegrate if you put a, you know, a nice filling into it or something yeah. like that. Um, these things obviously are a bit more of a modern thing. When we used to live in um, a place called Charlestown, the west of Ireland, there was a fabulous traveller man who lived at the top of one of the roads. And he would have been, I suppose, what you'd call a tinker, but in that old-fashioned way yes. of... Well, it, wasn't, it to, wasn't an insult. It was no, a, no, he, he used to tinker. He'd mend buckets, <laughs> he'd do all that sort of stuff. But he used to make cheese graters from bean cans. Yeah. So he'd get an old bean can, he'd perforate the cheese grater, or he'd perforate the bean can, he'd make a cheese grater out of it. And that's then what you'd use to, to grate the potato. So, you know, I mean, yes, we're still basically doing the same thing, but it's I, I love those little sort of you know, historical nods to, you know, the way that it would have been produced and how you would have produced it, you know? So you had those things, you had the cast iron skillets, you had the cheese grater, that's it, that's all you needed, you know? So we're not, we're not deviating too much. Um, but essentially, the whole idea is you're taking, I mean, any kind of potatoes work well. They will give you a little bit of a different consistency depending on what you're using. Um, but again, you know, the whole idea of this dish is to, I suppose, use what's available to you. So yes. if you had, my grandmother would have always said, if you've even got older, softer potatoes that traditionally you'd throw out, um, the whole idea then was that you'd be able to use them up. Um, that's probably gonna get recorded, isn't it? It's fine. There's no, it's the sleeps and 
It doesn't matter. Noise is not anything. Yeah. That's great. Um, so yes, the whole idea is essentially the dish starts from your just your raw potato. You're going to peel it. Okay. You're going to grate it on the finest side of that cheese grater. You always lose a little bit of skin off the tips of your fingers. Now, obviously, in the restaurant, we're very careful about health and safety. Yes. The difference uh, at home, and certainly when we used to make them in uh, in the Wild West, down in my grandmother's house, was she used to say the little drop of blood that you always lose adds to the a flavor. Bit of flavor. So probably not ideal under under today's restaurant conditions, but that was always what you used to say. You know, you'd you'd always have the little drop of blood, and we would have a little production line. So the kids would be great, and you'd have about three or four graters, and every now and again you'd get that ah, geez, you know, and the tips of your fingers would be gone. Yeah. And uh, so all that would go into the box and you'd eat all that stuff as well, which is hilarious. Um, so we're just going to get a few of these bits and pieces ready. We're going to wash these and, uh, and then we'll get to the cooking. Do you ever, do you ever kind of tinker with the recipe or be tempted to tinker with the Absolutely. recipe? Absolutely. Yeah, look, I mean, the whole idea, I suppose, um, you know, of taking Irish food is not to necessarily just keep it in the past. You know, so if somebody can come to me and show me a better way of doing it, I'm not so wedded to tradition that, you know, I wouldn't look at a better, yeah. a better method of doing it. And obviously, like I said, in the restaurant we have, you know, we've got a machine now that grates it. If my grandmother saw that, she'd be turning in her grave. Um, but, you know, you also have to be quite practical. Um, so we have tried various different recipes over the years. And in the restaurant, we'd make it in a, just a very slightly different way. You sort of almost pre-cook them to maybe about sort of 80%. Yeah. And then you'll finish them off for service. So the, you know, the quality of the product you get is nearly identical. But there's something about cooking it at home from fresh is just, just that little bit better. Uh -huh. um, I'd hate to say the product now in the restaurant wasn't as good. <laughs> so the idea then, you're just literally taking your potato and you're grating it. So this could take... You could be here for hours. Some, yeah. some, uh, some days, you know, you'd be doing this and you would literally do this until you got through an entire bag of spuds. And the other thing as well about Boxy is a lot of people have asked me for the recipe before. And the truth is, there's no such thing because every potato you use will have different requirements. Yes. Um, as a kind of a good rule of thumb, I would always say whatever amount of potato that you're left with, that kind of almost lightly shredded pulp potato, about 10% flour then to go into it. So 10% of whatever? So whatever, if you've got, let's say, one kg of grated potato. So 100 grams. Exactly. Um, but what you'll notice is, and you know, you kind of have to do it by eye because the water content's different. What you want is enough flour just to bind it. Okay. That's so all you're that's really looking for. That's the function of the flowers, isn't it? Exactly. Now I can hear about, you know, 50 million Irish mammies suddenly losing their minds, saying <laughs> I wouldn't have done it like that. Uh, but I mean, for me, that's what I think is really fascinating as well. You know, everybody has their own variation. And again, a bit like the Italian mamas, they'll all sort of have their own perfect tomato sauce or their perfect way of doing things. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so much fun as well. Um, so as you can see, I mean, it is, it is a very laborious and, you know, full-on process, but the results are usually worth it in the end. And then when we were doing this as kids, we would, uh, we would have boxed eating competitions. 
okay, so whoever could eat the most, you know. So, I mean, there's all those kind of really fabulous memories. I think myself and my granddad were the kind of the champions when it came to... Is there is there a boxy festival anywhere? Funnily enough, there is. There is. There is. Now, it's, uh, I remember seeing a, a video on YouTube actually quite recently, and I cannot remember where it is, but it's one of the, the, the mid-counties. Okay. Um, and they would have a... A festival and I think there's actually a few of them right um, but they're more your kind of local village sort of things you know it's not a an international boxy no. festival or anything and again I think part of the problem is because most people just don't know about it most Irish people don't know about it well I have to admit uh, it's only come on my right air in the in the last while the boxy well we had we had our own conversion kind of, of a potato cake which would have been used up the old mash and it wouldn't have been... Yeah, absolutely. And there's various versions of boxies that would incorporate, um, you know, a little bit of leftover mashed potato and stuff like that as well. But it always would have been egg would have went into ours as well. We would always made it yes. with a bit of flour and a bit and, a, and an egg. That's getting a bit highfalutin now for, for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, if you even look at, um, you know, things like tatty scones in Scotland. Yes. You know, okay, the recipes aren't the same from county to county or from country to country, but there's similarities there. You know, you even look at certain sort of um, Eastern European yeah. uh, cultures, you know, they also have very similar dishes as well. And again, it's just what's available to you. Um, so you can see there that what you end up with, now that's actually quite wet, that potato. So you'll probably be adding just a little touch more flour maybe than you would think. No, that is the starchy water. So the other thing you have to remember, different types of the year, the potatoes have different sort of qualities and, um, but all that is now is your, it's almost like my grandma would have said, you want to get the consistency of loose porridge once the flour is added to it. Um, so you can see that's quite wet. Yeah. Oh, hold it under that. So, I'm not going to grate any more potatoes because we'll be here till next Wednesday doing this. So like I said, we generally, now just good strong plain flour is the way to go, but... Use gluten free. The thing about the gluten free flour is most of our family is gluten free. Okay, so it's practical. Um, practical. And also because of that incredibly high percentage of people in Northern Ireland in particular, all around the world as well, um, if you didn't make your food gluten-free, and we don't claim to be 100%, but I'd say about 95% of our dishes are just naturally gluten-free anyway, um, it means that you're not cutting off potentially a fifth of your customers' requirements. Yes. Um, and the gluten-free flours are so good, they used to be awful. They're so good these days, you wouldn't notice any difference. Um, so we're just gonna throw a little bit of that in. I don't even sift this. This is chunky, funky, you know, you just get a little bit in. The other thing you have to remember about box tea is it oxidizes incredibly quickly. Okay. Um, so one of the things you have to do is work very, very fast. Get your whisk at the hand. And it's funny as well because when we first started to uh, experiment, you had asked about, you know, have we changed it up or done anything different? We did try a few different bits and pieces. So you'd add things like citric acid or something to try and sort of help with the longevity of the mix. And it doesn't taste very nice. So we just found that all you have to do really 
is just work as fast as humanly possible. Because you don't want that kind of sour taste of it, if it oxidizes. Exactly. Um, and also it, it, uh, it just goes grey. Now it doesn't necessarily hurt it in, in any way, shape or form, but it doesn't look very appealing. Okay. Um, and if my grandmother could do it for us at home without it going grey, I have no excuse for the restaurants. You have to present them beautifully. and So I'd probably leave it at that. So as you can see, like I said, the consistency is sort of loose porridge. Yes. Now, we are, like I said, using a non-stick pan today. Hot. Now, this is the one thing that people trying to make it yeah. at home get wrong. Right. So the problem is, if you go too hot, okay. you will sort of almost char the outside, you'll burn the butter, and it'll still be a little bit raw in the middle, even though it is quite a thin pancake. Yes. Um, so you're probably looking realistically at sort of medium to medium low. Okay. Uh, what that translates for most people is just, just a, a, a bit lower than you would think. But it's just a general kind of experimentation until you get it right. Exactly. So I would normally drop that down sort of relatively low, and that's still quite a, a hot ring as well. Yeah. Um, and then the idea is, now we have, again, we've tried various different um, ways of producing it with oils, maybe to try and make it a little bit healthier for some customers. Um, if you've got vegan customers, obviously you don't want to be using animal fats. We have done it relatively successfully with sort of good, you know, good local Irish sort of rapeseed oils and stuff like that. It's just not the same. No. There's uh, a, there's a flavour, isn't there, of the, the rapeseed oil? There is, and I mean, look. It works with some dishes, but doesn't work with, with the butter. It's hard to beat the whole butter. You can't beat you the bit of butter. You just hear it there sizzling away. And look, you know, I mean, the other thing is, as sort of, um, you know, as tastes and trends change, you know, a lot of people do want healthier food. But I suppose one of the problems that I would have is if you try and do and be all things to all people, you end up sort of almost compromising what made it interesting in the first place. So, you know, we, I mean, we have vegetarian and vegan dishes on our menu, but the more we try and please everybody, the more we find that we can kind of almost please nobody. Yes. So I think you just have to, at some point, make a stand, make a decision, you know, look at the end, of the day, what we're doing here is traditional Irish food. Yes, you can modernize it a little bit, but it can't be really, you know. You can just, you can smell, really smell that butter, burn. So one of the other things as well, now a lot of people do throw the, um, the salt in, in the mix, and we would probably do that in the restaurant to a degree. Yeah, a um, but I always find. Put it on after. Put it on after, or as it's in the pan, and these things should really be a little bit salty and a little bit buttery as well. And every moderation. The other thing uh, that we don't do, um, once you put a little bit, I like a little bit of white pepper with potatoes. A little bit of mash with a bit of white pepper, a little bit of even, you know, cabbage colcanum yeah. with a bit of white pepper. The white pepper I think is lovely. If you put it into the mix, it turns a grey again. Okay. So again, if you're going to use something like that, Generally, while it's on the pan, is probably the way to go. The smell of pepper always reminds me of my grandfather. Yeah. His, 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 his dish was always 
Covered in pepper. And it's funny that, isn't it? How a smell, how yeah. a sound, how a... But generally, with food, it is. It's that smell, it's the flavour, it's the... Can just bring you right back yes. to being about 10, 11... <laughs> In the current world. Yeah, and there just... There isn't anything, I don't think... You know, maybe music or something, but there's nothing quite like food, really, for doing that. And it is the smells, isn't it? The smells bring back the memories. So, and it's funny as well, because a lot of people would, you know, I know a lot of chefs who've seen me making this um, and have just thought, you know, that's not how I do it, or, you know, you need to kind of change this or do that. I'm sure there's people out there who could come up with a product that's similar, but, you know, maybe easier to produce or something, yes. but that's kind of missing the, the point of this dish. You know, the point of this dish is to celebrate, I suppose, the lack of ingredients, the <laughs> lack of you know, what you had available to you and what you were able to do with it. Um, I, lo I love how much butter you're using. Now, again, we probably wouldn't go quite as heavy as that in the restaurants, oh. but, I mean, at the same time... Is there, is there more a pure form of food and butter, really? No, and the, I mean, the other thing you have to remember as well is butter is incredibly expensive these days. Yes. So the amount of butter we go through, but, you know, if the product's just not the same without it, you know, what's the point in using anything else? I mean, I've used every olive oil and uh, it's just not the same. So you'll see it start, almost start to bubble up a little bit in the middle. And that's usually a good sign that you're getting cooked through. It's cooking through. So that's what you're looking for. Do you, do you flip then this at some? Oh, there we go. But you're looking for that bubbles to come up before you flip. A little bit, because what you're finding is then the layers are just starting to separate a little bit. You know the hot air is getting in there and it's kind yeah. of cooking steam and everything. So you can see you want a little bit of char on that, but we'll maybe go a little bit further. Um, but we're pretty much there. Obviously the difference in the restaurant, so we'd probably bring it to about this point. Yes. You'd have a, a plate. Uh, you'd have a little bit of greaseproof paper, you'd flop it on, get the next one going, and you'd eventually build up a stack of them. Try and let them cool a bit first, build up a stack of them, and then you're ready for service. So you just flip it onto the hot plate, flip it onto a grill. There's plenty of butter in it already, so you don't really need to kind of yeah. re-oil the pan or anything like that. You'll have your nice pot of seafood chowder, Irish stew, whatever it is, and you'll just do it really simply. You'll have a maybe a little bit of salad or a bit of veg on the side. Yes. Uh, if you were being very traditional, you'd probably cook the veg to a point where you could push it through your clenched teeth. Okay. It's so soft, that was the old traditional Irish way of doing it. For us, we try and keep it a bit more al dente, but you know, you put your boxy down on the, the, the plate, put your filling in, fold it over, a little bit of a garnish, whatever it might be, and you send it out, and that's it. A nice cold beer, or a little, even a little glass of wine, or a whiskey. So your version of the Irish calls only then? I mean, that's the, the, the funny thing is, it's a calzone, it's a fajita, it's a, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So you could compare it to just about anything. So you're getting to the point now where it's pretty much cooked through. I like them a bit crispier. Yes, well, my, um, and if, my taste too. And the thing is, look, if you look at it closely, that quality sometimes you get with mashed potato where you obviously don't want to blend it because you stretch the, the, the gluten in it. Yes. I think it is. You almost do want a little bit of that. Um, you want that sort of slightly, you can see what I mean when I say almost gelatinous quality at certain parts in the middle there. Aye. So, that's exactly what you're looking for, but you still want those nice crispy edges. 
And a lot of other people who I've seen make box tea as well reckon that's way too thin. They like their nice kind of, um, it's almost like somewhere between like a rosty and what I'm doing here. And that's your, what I, I suppose is leitrim box tea, yeah. what I would call leitrim box tea. And then you're coming into the realms of the potato cake, which is, we would have made them quite thick. Yeah. Well, again, that's another dish that my grandmother used to make. Um, it wasn't potato bread, it was potato cake, she called it. Yeah, that's what we would have. And it was very similar in terms of, I suppose, how you'd make potato farls or something. You know, it was the flour, it was the mashed potato, your bit of seasoning. But again, she would have the cast iron skillet, no oil, dry dusted with flour. Okay. Uh, and she'd pack that dough into it. Yeah. And it would sit there maybe for an hour and 20 minutes more wow. on a very, very low heat. And you'd get this kind of almost crust around it, like you'd find on a kind of a, you know, like a, what do you call the local uh, bread? It's the... What, soda bread? A, soda no, bread? no, no, it's not a soda bread. It's like a blah, it's like a, you know, it's that dusty, crusty... Oh, no, Belfast bap. Belfast bap, exactly, right? <laughs> but there is another name for it in the South. I think it is a... a a Waterford blah or something like this. They call it the yes. blahs in Waterford, yeah. They're um, very similar actually. But that lovely kind of flowery quality, that's kind of what you would get over the, the potato cake. And she'd also let it go cold and then you'd refry it and you'd have it with a bit of butter, a bit of salt sprinkled on top and then a cup of tea on the side. And man, we just used to look forward to that so much. Um, so I'd say for me, that's the job done. Looks pretty good to me. All right, so we're going to turn that out. Now, oh, well. you might think as well, maybe even a couple of minutes more, there was plenty of butter in that pan, but <laughs> you need to go just one last little bit of butter. You want it to be a little bit shiny, almost a bit like a pancake. Yeah, it does have that pancake look. Gives it a, gives it a little bit of gloss for the camera and all that That's as well. It. And that, that looks that pretty special now. Is essentially the box tea. And so simple the ingredients. Three essentially three ingredients. Yeah, and one of those ingredients basically being salt. Yeah. Uh, the butter obviously is your cooking sort of medium. Yeah. Um, but essentially it's kinda of, I would always say two ingredients, you know, flour, flour flour and potato, but yes, obviously it's not uh, it's not anything close to what it could be without the butter. That is hugely important. So again, a bit like those kind of what I would describe as like Asian breads and you know, the, the way that you would eat it, you'd literally tear it, tear it and use that then for, for dipping in your sauces. So okay, get stuck in. Uh, I'm gonna tear a slice off. Have you ever had this before? Oh yeah. yeah. Sure, I used to be obsessed with the, 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 ham, hock, the ham hock one. I'm hot one with a little egg That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Many's the one I brought. That would go lovely with a nice cold beer. Exactly. Just sitting there out on your Sunday. Bit salty, bit buttery. Yeah. Generally speaking, in the restaurant, oh you'd almost kind of tone down the saltiness because you'll probably have a nice kind of seasoned filling inside it. That's true. But on its own. The salt will come from that. On its own, that greasy. Salty. I'm going for second dibs. Gets yeah. dull, and the the edges are always the best as well. Yeah. But you can taste that butter come through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you will not, with the exception maybe of so you know some nice breads and that sort of thing, you'll not find a dish that's a true representation 
of the west coast of Ireland than that. And it encompasses everything. And what's fabulous as well about it is, as we kind of get into this sort of modern idea of like street, street food in particular, you see it in Belfast a lot, there's a lot of places that focus on one product and doing it really, really brilliantly. Yeah. Well, this Irish food, and the box tea in particular, it's probably the perfect time to reintroduce it because it is a kind of a trendy ethnic. It's funny to think of Irish restaurants in Ireland being ethnic, but in a way, that's kind of how a lot of people would consider them. Yes. Um, you know, and for me, like I said, it's the perfect street food. You can just have it with anything. Well, that's pretty special, not that. Unbelievable. Yeah. Not bad, right? Like, yeah. For me, for me, yeah, for sure. For I'm, me, so, I'm supposed to be on a keto diet at the moment. I'm, I'm getting it into me. For me now, a bit of smoked salmon or something that would be mm -hmm. absolutely perfect. Well, I'm talking with my mouth full here, but um, when I went to university and I produced this for one of my exams, that's exactly how I served it. A little bit of horseradish creme fraiche, a little bit of beautiful Walter Ewing smoked salmon, a little bit of dill over the top. Yeah. And it was, I tell you, food fit for a king. That would be pretty much on the money for me now. Yeah. <laughs> a working work man's dish fit for a king. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's it, you know. I mean, the, the simplicity is kind of half the, the point of it, you know. Oh, that's it. So there's nothing, there's nothing really more to demonstrate in terms of how it's put together. And, but I suppose with Boxy as well, it's a bit like anybody doing a single thing for years and years and years. They, they, it becomes an art form. Yeah. So I've seen people try and reproduce this. I can I can see I can see your pride in when you're when you were even. Yeah, I mean for me it's and again you know there's so many layers to it for me mm. that the connection with my grandmother and and even my mother as well because it is a a recipe that she taught to my mother, you know we obviously learned it from her as well so it's that multi generation thing. Oh, that's 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 a fantastic dish. There you go. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, gentlemen. I'd cook more for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think we have the time today. Thank you very much for introducing us to the boxy. Yeah, well, I mean, the great thing now is you've experienced the, uh, the homemade version. You can come in and check out the, uh, the restaurant set up in a couple of weeks when we get moving and, uh, and see what you think, yeah. yeah not very much, so we'll definitely be dropping into the pantry very Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much from Calvin from Hollahan's. I get that right? You did, absolutely. For introducing us to the boxy here this morning. Uh, we very much look forward to when situations allow and you're, we're allowed back inside your restaurant. We yes, very much looking forward to that. Going and sampling the atmosphere. Yeah. You're, now, you're now very famous welcome in the Queen's Quarter of Belfast. and We look forward to being down there and sampling the atmosphere and, and, and some more boxy, of course. Thank you. Well, you're very, very welcome, guys. Thanks very much for, for popping over. I mean, one of the nice things about this, I think, is sometimes when you talk to other people about it, you kind of reinvigorate your own enthusiasm for it. So, uh, no, that was good fun. I really enjoyed that, guys. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah. That's the job. So your, your homework is now to try and get it done yourself. Yeah. Try and have a... Try and have a Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Tour Ireland Outdoors podcast. Uh, thanks again to Calvin uh, and Hollahan's Pantry for joining us and uh, introducing us to their family recipe 
of uh, the box thing. Um, if you would like to book with Hollahans, um, then just check out the links that we've got in the description and also check out the Tour Ireland Outdoors uh, website and Instagram and Facebook. In the meantime, take care, look after yourself and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye.